Welcome to Microdose Nature, a series of short episodes of Nature Junkie Radio designed to immerse you into nature, build the skills of nature connection, and help replenish your stoke. I'm your host, Jeff Johnson, and I hope you enjoy the ride. Hey everyone, before we get into this episode, I would love to hear how you microdose nature. If you're up for it, get out your phone and record a voice memo for about 30 seconds to a minute. Tell me your name, where you're from, describe how you microdose nature, and how it makes you feel. Just email that voice memo to hello at naturejunkielife.com. I'll read it again. Hello at naturejunkielife.com. And I'd love to share it on a future episode of the podcast, just like this one right here. This is Aaron Levinson from Torrance, California. I like to microdose nature first thing in the morning with my coffee in hand. I grab my book and sit on the back patio to read while listening for the vibrations of a hummingbird's wings. Like clockwork, the hummingbird appears near the orange tree to take advantage of the nectar in an upcycled hummingbird feeder. I first feel a sense of anticipation. I then feel a sense of joy. And when I focus on the strategic hovering to drink the nectar, the world slows down for a moment of morning zen. It's a great way to hit pause, slow your breathing, and start the day. Thanks, Aaron. What's not to love here? Coffee, a book, and birds chirping. And by the way, everyone, those are real birds in the background of Aaron's message. I did not get up to any audio shenanigans. I also start many of my days exactly like this. And over the past few months, I've been getting to know a local scrub jay that I think is a California scrub jay. I'm not 100% sure. But this little bugger seems to know when it's coffee hang time, and I love it. Thanks again, Aaron. And everyone else, please send me a voice memo of how you microdose nature so I can share it right here. Okay, on to the episode. Today, we have something new. For some of the microdose nature episodes, I'm going to start sharing some of the science and history around nature connection in quick and digestible ways. My goal here is for you to use this information to deepen your own connections with nature, pique your curiosity to learn more, and hopefully dive down the rabbit hole. Today, we're going to talk about the biophilia hypothesis. This is the idea that we humans have a deep and biological attraction to nature. I first learned about this concept through surfing. When I was in elementary school, I started riding waves, first on a boogie board, and then eventually started standing up on a surfboard like many kids my age. But the wave craft I was riding really didn't matter. It was the ocean that hooked me. Jacques Cousteau once said, the sea, once it casts its spell, holds one in its net of wonder forever. For me initially, surfing was a felt experience. But it wasn't until I dug into the research that I realized there really was something more going on than meets the eye. Enter the biophilia hypothesis. To learn more about biophilia, it'll help to understand just a little bit of history, so let's throw it back a bit and introduce some characters. The first one is Eric Fromm, a German social psychologist who first used the term biophilia in 1964, then later defined it in 1973 as, quote, the passionate love of life and of all that is alive, unquote. If we break down the word biophilia, which by the way comes from Greek, the root word bio means life and philia means love. So in essence, we're dealing with the love of life here. Later on in 1984, Edward O. Wilson, or E.O. Wilson as he's largely known, put forward what he called the biophilia hypothesis in his book, Biophilia. 
And later in 1993, he expanded on the concept with Stephen Kellert in their book called The Biophilia Hypothesis. This book is a collection of essays on the topic of biophilia from various scientists and scholars, including Jared Diamond, who later went on to write the famous book Guns, Germs, and Steel. While we're on the topic of history, it's worth noting at this point that before these dudes like Fromm and Wilson started studying nature connection with the scientific method, it's safe to say that indigenous peoples around the world already had this concept completely dialed. In his new book, Awe, researcher Dacher Keltner explains what indigenous scholars call traditional ecological knowledge, or a way of knowing. He said that their way of knowing comes through tens of thousands of hours observing flora and fauna, weather systems, the power of plants, migration patterns of animals, and life cycles, compiling the data, testing hypotheses with empirical evidence and cultural input from elders, and the transmission of knowledge through oral, religious, and pictorial traditions. Like I said, I think they had it pretty dialed, and this is a topic that doesn't get enough attention, so I'm going to get into that in future episodes and blogs, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, I still think it's important to understand the biophilia hypothesis, so let's get into it. E.O. Wilson defined the biophilia hypothesis as, quote, the innate tendency to focus on life and lifelike processes, unquote. Now, on one hand, it's easy to say, yeah, of course, I get it. We humans need food, water, and fresh air to live, otherwise we die. It's kind of a no-brainer. But Wilson and Kellert were arguing something much deeper. Here's how Kellert describes what Wilson meant. He said, The biophilia hypothesis proclaims a human dependence on nature that extends far beyond the simple issues of material and physical sustenance to encompass as well the human craving for aesthetic, intellectual, cognitive, and even spiritual meaning and satisfaction. To put it simply, these guys were boldly saying that we need nature for our mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual well-being in order to thrive. It's not just about food, water, and oxygen here. While it's still up for debate whether or not biophilia is a heritable trait, some think yes, some think no, two things are clear. One is that we notice how we feel different in nature, mostly a little bit less stressed. And two, is that it's in our best interest to learn how to adapt to nature. Wilson put it this way. He said, if we come to understand other organisms, we will place greater value on them and on ourselves. Sounds like a nice little biological feedback loop that could help us keep this whole human nature relationship thing going. One argument for biophilia is that despite our radical changes in nature over millennia, this magnetic pull still shows up on the regular. In the Paleolithic era, which makes up the bulk of our evolutionary history, we were enmeshed in wild, abundant nature. It must have felt absolutely amazing at times, and a bit sketchy too. But flash to now, and we have a largely built environment with massive population density and visible nature disappearing quickly. And guess what? We're stressed. Even John Muir got this notion back in 1915 when he described working too much and being away from his beloved wild nature by saying, quote, I'm degenerating into a machine for making money, unquote. Well, I think we can all relate to that at times, right? On the bright side, Despite the changes in amount of nature available to us, E.O. Wilson argued that our predisposition for nature has remained the same. 
I really hope that's true. And if so, then it means that we can unlock it in ourselves and express it in how we choose to live. In other words, it appears that biophilia may be a spectrum and we can move along it. So you might be asking, what do we do with this biophilia hypothesis thing day to day? How do we start flexing our atrophied nature connection muscles? First, bring awareness to this innate pull toward nature. We all have it. Sometimes all it takes is to sit down quietly, take a deep inhale and an even longer exhale to unclench your body and mind and a whole new world can open up right beneath our noses. Next, train your attention on nature. Even in our built environments, nature's fingerprints are all around us. The way the sunlight falls into your room, the sound of the weather, such as a hard rain or a heavy wind, and even the wag of your dog's tail are all subtle clues. Research by Miles Richardson and his colleagues in the UK show that tuning into these details with all of our senses promotes greater nature connection. They call it noticing nature, and it makes a difference. Lastly, think about frequency. Just like building any other good habit, breaking nature connection into small, frequent behaviors tends to help it stick. So, in other words, as I like to say here at Nature Junkie, microdose nature. Wherever you are, find a way to connect, even if it's only for a small, brief moment. It can make a difference. To recap, the biophilia hypothesis is our innate drive to connect with nature that helps us thrive beyond the basics of food, water, and oxygen. As always, thanks for tuning in to Nature Junkie Radio. I invite you to head over to our website at naturejunkielife.com for show notes, to learn more about nature connection, and to sign up for our newsletter. And one last thing, please share how you microdose nature so I can share it with everyone in a future episode of the podcast. It's simple. Just get out your phone, record a voice memo for about 30 seconds to a minute, tell me your first name, where you're from, Describe how you microdose nature and importantly, how does it make you feel? Just email that voice memo to hello at naturejunkielife.com. That's hello at naturejunkielife.com. And that's all it takes. Thanks so much in advance. And as always, thanks for listening to Nature Junkie Radio. Microdose nature and replenish your stoke.